this Friday, May the 28th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Biden moots a big budget and Russia forbids flights from Europe. First, the world in brief. America's next big budget, if President Joe Biden were to have his way, would be the most ambitious and costliest since the Second World War. The White House is expected today to propose spending $6 trillion for 2022. Republicans in the Senate are far from acceding to it. Having already haggled its infrastructure component down to $1.7 trillion from an opening bid of $2.3 trillion, they made a counteroffer worth just $928 million. The number of Americans making initial claims for unemployment benefits fell to its lowest level since March 2020. Last week, 406,000 Americans submitted applications, compared with 444,000 the previous week. The reopening of businesses and vaccination drives across the country may explain the decline. But at 6.1%, unemployment remains comparatively high, well above the 3.5% recorded before the pandemic hit. Russia agreed to supply up to 220 million doses of its Sputnik V COVID-19 vaccine to UNICEF, the UN agency that has taken the lead in procurement and distribution. This would be enough to inoculate 110 million people. The deal will come into effect once the World Health Organization has approved Sputnik V for emergency use. UNICEF has already signed similar agreements with the Serum Institute of India, Pfizer and AstraZeneca. Russia barred two European airlines, Air France and Austrian Airlines, from flying to Moscow because they planned to skirt Belarusian airspace. EU carriers are avoiding Belarus since Alexander Lukashenko, the country's president, forced a flight to land in Minsk in order to arrest a nettlesome journalist on board. The subsequent international outcry has pushed him into the Kremlin's arms. Spanish judges sentenced three men who helped jihadists plan a terrorist attack in Barcelona in 2017. In August that year, a van mowed down pedestrians, killing 16 and injuring more than 100. The men, who were also found guilty of producing and possessing explosives, as well as causing terrorist-related harm and damage, will serve up to 20 years in jail. Syria's president Bashar al-Assad won the country's sham election with 95.1% of the vote. Voter turnout was high, as expected. Mr Assad said the election is proof that Syria is operating like normal. In reality, he will enter his fourth term having overseen a decade of war that has killed hundreds of thousands and displaced millions more. Tens of thousands of people were evacuated from Goma in eastern Congo amid worries that Mount Niragongo may erupt again. At least 32 died and thousands were left homeless when the volcano began to spew lava on Saturday. People now fear a limic eruption where lava causes dissolved carbon dioxide in the lake to create a poisonous gas cloud and potentially a tsunami. And fact of the day, the first black female millionaires, Anne Malone and Madame J.C. Walker, owned black hair empires in the early 1900s. By 2017, the black hair care industry generated $2.5 billion in revenue a year. And now, here's today's agenda. Money Talks. Biden's Budget. President Joe Biden releases his full proposed budget for the 2020 fiscal year today. Because Congress holds the purse strings, such budgets are requests, not dictates. But they lay out an administration's political priorities and fiscal policy recommendations. 
Mr Biden's budget outline, released last month, called for an 8% increase in federal discretionary spending over current levels. The Education Department gets the biggest boost, with funding for low-income schools and early childhood learning both getting hefty bumps. Discretionary defence spending will be increased modestly, though more than some on the progressive left would like, with the Cyber Mission Force, America's Digital Warriors, getting 10% more personnel, the first rise since its creation in 2012. The budget also proposes the biggest single-year boost in funding for the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in almost 20 years. And the Department of State, after four years of attrition, low morale and derision under the previous administration, would see a 12% increase. Thirty Years of Brutality Eritrea Eritrea has been an independent country for only 28 years. But today its president, Isaiah Safwerki, marks three decades in charge. As leader of the Eritrean People's Liberation Front, he helped overthrow a military dictatorship in Ethiopia in alliance with the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front, a rebel movement to Eritrea's south. He then took power in Asmara, the Eritrean capital, leading to a referendum on independence two years later. Since then, he has turned Eritrea into a gulag state and terrorised the region. In 1998, he fought a bloody and prolonged war with Ethiopia, then dominated by his erstwhile ally, the TPLF, and lost. A decade later, he invaded parts of Djibouti, and now Eritrean forces fight the TPLF alongside Ethiopian government forces in Tigray. Isaias' wars and his repression of his own people have been equally ghastly. America has threatened sanctions. The EU has revoked aid. Yet his ruthlessness remains uncurbed. Cashing in its chips. Taiwan's economy. Taiwan is home to just 0.3% of the world's population, but over half of global semiconductor manufacture. That's an inviolable position given the chip shortage. Businesses from gadget makers to auto manufacturers the world over rely on the island's silicon wafers to power their electronics. That has helped drive its economy to new heights. A world-beating pandemic response and government incentives prompted manufacturers and expatriates to flood home. Taiwan's economy grew by 3.1% last year, outpacing China's for the first time since 1990. It clocked an astonishing 8.2% year-on-year growth in the first quarter of 2021. But after 253 days without a single local COVID-19 case, the mostly unvaccinated country has reported thousands in the past two weeks. Restrictions imposed earlier this month were mostly due to end today, but will continue into June as hospital capacity in Taipei, the capital, grows thin. The government hopes that, like last year, it can cushion the economic blow with targeted stimulus. Erdogan's prayers answered. A mosque in Taksim. Turkey's president, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, inaugurates a new mosque in Taksim Square today. He has dreamed of building a mosque in the square, the heart of Istanbul's busy nightlife district, since the 1990s when he was the city's mayor. The timing looks significant. On the same date in 2013, a handful of activists staged a sit-in to oppose Mr Erdogan's decision to raise nearby Gezi Park to make way for a shopping mall. The rally snowballed into the biggest anti-government protests in years. Mr Erdogan had demonstrators violently dispersed and the organisers arrested on charges of terrorism and sedition. He vowed to continue transforming Taksim. Do not expect protests this time. 
Mr. Erdogan has crippled Turkey's civil society. Thousands of people languish in prison on outlandish terrorism charges. Popular dissent is equated with treason. Turks opposed to Mr. Erdogan have little appetite to take to the streets. Footnotes What our Wall Street correspondent is watching It is hard to imagine a world without banks. Last year, the biggest 1,000 lenders had assets worth a mind-boggling $128 trillion. And yet, a future without them is on the horizon. Alice Fullwood, our Wall Street correspondent, spent months working on a special report that delves into the potential consequences and risks of a bankless economy. Of everything she encountered, this panel session hosted by Marcus Brunemeyer, a rising star economist at Princeton University, and featuring Jean-Pierre Landau, a central banking heavyweight, was the most useful. As she says, quote, Monetary economics TV doesn't get better than this. An early stop for anyone writing about money and banking for The Economist is to read Lombard Street, a description of the money market, by Walter Badgett. Down the road, John Kenneth Galbraith offered his own witty and insightful perspective on money. Then, by diving into research papers, such as this one about the role of debt in the financial sector, she considered how lenders face threats from new technology, capital markets, and even the public sector. A new architecture is emerging. Read Alice's seven-part special report and follow her on Twitter. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Maya Angelou, who died on this day in 2014. There is nothing so pitiful as a young cynic because he has gone from knowing nothing to believing nothing. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. (laughs) 